This is Speak the Speech, the podcast from Bell Shakespeare. Bell Shakespeare would like to acknowledge that this episode was recorded and produced on the lands of the Gadigal and Wangal people of the Eora Nation, the traditional custodians of this land, and we pay our respects to their elders, past and present. Oh, then I see Queen Mab hath been with you. She is the fairy's midwife, and she comes in shape no bigger than an agate stone on the forefinger of an alderman, drawn with a team of little atomy athwart men's noses as they lie asleep. Her wagon spokes made of long spinner's legs, the cover of the wings of grasshoppers. Her traces of the moonshine's watery beams, her collars of the smallest spider's web, her whip of cricket's bone, the lash of film, her wagoner, a small grey-coated gnat, not half so big as a round little worm pricked from the lazy finger of a maid. Her chariot is an empty hazelnut made by the joiner squirrel or old grub, time out of mind the fairy's coachmakers. And in this state, she gallops night by night through lovers' brains, and then they dream of love. Oh, a courtier's knees that dream on curtsy straight. Oh, a lady's lips who straight on kisses dream, which oft the angry mab with blisters plagues, because their breaths with sweetmeats tainted are. Sometime she gallops o'er a lawyer's lip, and then dreams he of smelling out a suit. And sometime comes she with a tithe pig's tail, tickling a parson's nose as a lies asleep, then dreams he of another benefice. Sometime she driveth o'er a soldier's neck, and then dreams he of cutting foreign throats, of breeches, ambuscados, Spanish blades of health's five fathom deep, and then anon drums in his ear at which he starts and wakes, and being thus frightened, swears a prayer or two and sleeps again. This is that very map that plats the manes of horses in the night and bakes the elf locks in foul, sluttish hairs, which once untangled much misfortune bodes. This is the hag when maids lie on their backs that presses them and learns them first to bear, making them women of good carriage. This is she. Welcome to Speak the Speech, the podcast from Bell Shakespeare. I'm your host, James Evans, and that was Mercutio's Queen Mab speech from Act 1, Scene 4 of Romeo and Juliet, read by our guest this week. She is an acting graduate from the WA Academy of Performing Arts and has worked with Belle Shakespeare as a member of the Players, delivering the company's in-schools program, as well as performing in productions of Macbeth and A Midsummer Night's Dream for young audiences. She's worked with the Australian Theatre for Young People and Black Swan Theatre Company and has appeared on the ABC TV series Black Comedy. Most recently, she was the assistant director on Belle Shakespeare's 2020 production of Hamlet. It is my great pleasure to welcome Abby Lee Lewis. Abby Lee, welcome to Speak the Speech. Hi, thanks for having me. So good to have you here. Now, Abby Lee, I know you love Mercutio. Tell us a little bit about the context of this speech. Who's he talking to? So Mercutio is talking to uh, his mates Romeo and Benvolio and Mercutio and Benvolio are trying to coax Romeo into going to this party. Um, this speech is kind of towards the start of the play and so Romeo hasn't actually met Juliet yet and he's currently in love with a, another, another woman um, who's going to be at this party. So Romeo's kind of had this foreboding feeling about going to this party and this is uh, Mercutio responds with this speech. 
So, I mean, it's an extraordinary speech. The, the images in it are amazing. And, and Mikusha is talking about this kind of mythical character, Queen Mab. Yeah. And he starts with this almost like a fairy tale picture of, of who she is and, and what she looks like. And then it gets gets really dark. What, what happens then? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I'm so drawn to this speech mainly because of that imagery. You know, I feel like he has this great imagination and to be able to pull these images straight just straight off the bat of this woman and I feel like he kind of gets swept up in this imagery but reality kind of slaps him in the face and he's trying to tell Romeo about uh, about reality and going you can be a dreamer and uh, think and hope and feel all these things but reality isn't quite like that. And then, and then there's all these different kinds of people like lawyers and courtiers and, and parsons. Why does he mention these people? I feel, I feel like uh, in, in, the, in the world of Shakespeare and um, possibly at the time that Shakespeare was writing that those uh, types of people were possibly corrupt <laughs> and that's, yep. what, and that's mm. what Mercutio is talking about is like, yes, they're people, yes, they have hopes, they have dreams, but they're poisoned, they're corrupt, they're disgusting. <laughs> so, they, I mean, that's a pretty dark vision he has of, <laughs> of humanity and I love that as a contrast to Romeo who's such a kind yeah. of romantic and and so, so is Mercutio just a, a cynical guy or is he a, is he a realist? I, I, like throughout this whole uh, play and a lot of Shakespeare's work, I feel like there's a lot of antithesis and Mercutio is a walking, talking antithesis in my mind. Like he, <laughs> I feel like he is a dreamer, but he's been jaded a lot by reality. And I feel like he walks both of those, um, both of those paths. So I don't, it might be a cop-out answer, but I feel like he's both. Like, <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. Hey, um, and also after this speech, I love that there's there's almost a punchline, you know, because Romeo cuts him off. He says something about... Uh, Romeo says, uh, you talk of nothing. And Mercutio then goes, true, I talk of dreams. Um, and he then goes into saying that which are the children of an idle brain so they're born of people who aren't doing anything they're mm. and something that's still a brain that is idle <laughs> and very different from Romeo's idea who, who just yeah. really believes in dreams and thinks that they all come true and yeah yeah it's quite a contrast I love yeah. that so what do you think about women playing Mercutio uh what, what does that bring what does that add to the character what does that reveal about the character RSC, the Royal Shakespeare Company in England, did um, a female version of Mercutio uh, last year. Um, and I kind of watched uh, the actor's uh, kind of take on it. And it, um, she, she was talking about taking up space and allowing um, women to kind of, you know, the society has kind of told us to be this way and whether or not we listen <laughs> is another question. But um, especially within Shakespeare's uh, stories, uh, sometimes, and, and, and in Shakespeare times when he was writing, women were told to be a certain way and to have a Mercutio that's taking up space and is being sexy and bold and um, passionate and gruesome and dark and all these things that uh, society might not align women with, um, I feel um, is kind of exciting. And um, I've, I've always, always wanted to play Mercutio mainly for those reasons is to be able to, because I know that those 
those things are in me. You know, I, I am a really passionate person. I'm quick to anger sometimes, but I'm also quick to love. Like, you know, those things can go hand in hand. And so being able to kind of explore that uh, part of myself and be able to go to other women, to other audiences to say, you know, these characters that Shakespeare were, were writing weren't, and the way he was writing weren't just one tone. They weren't just one mm. facet. Mm. Um, he was writing full faceted characters. Yep. And so to be able to show people going, humans, we're so complex. Um, just yep. because we're female doesn't mean we can't feel those things as well. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I think it's time for women to be playing all of the great roles in Shakespeare, really. I mean, we have so many amazing female actors and, um, you know, the opportunities in the past haven't been there. And I really think it's time every single great role should be played by a woman, I, I, think, I think. Yeah, I, I think so too. And it, it kind of, you know, I think actors... Actors love playing Shakespeare's roles, like, and and his characters, and um, you know, I kind of I kind of look at Shakespeare, <laughs> Shakespeare's uh, uh, stories and his and his characters that he's written as a training, like a massive training ground. It's like where actors go, or if actors were Olympians, that's where <laughs> <laughs> Shakespeare would be, where Olympians would go to train in that one that one specific thing that they're. Really good at. Does that yeah, make sense? Great. I don't think yeah. that makes sense. Absolutely. It sure <laughs> does. And that actually segues nicely to our next question, which is about your first experience with Shakespeare. Where <laughs> where did you hear about Shakespeare? Who introduced Shakespeare to you? How did it all start for you? Oh God. Um I so I knew like growing up in high school, like uh, and and the schools that I went to, we weren't really introduced to Shakespeare. Like it, I don't have any defining moment that yeah. was like, oh, that's when I heard about Shakespeare. Um, but like, you you kind of knew it was around. Good old Baz Luhrmann I did that for my generation. Of course, of course. <laughs> um, and Leonardo DiCaprio totally. uh, was my Romeo. <laughs> um, but I think I was because Bell Shakespeare actually came to my school in Port Hedland. Mm. Um, I think I was year eleven or twelve at the time, and it was the first time I'd actually ever seen Shakespeare in like, in person, like live, live theatre. Um, and there it was I think it was the Actors at Work, and they did kind of um, similar to the players, where it was a short and ver abbreviated version of Midsummer Night's Dream, and. I want to say it was like a defining moment, <laughs> but <laughs> it was, it was like, it was like, I kind of was like, oh, I didn't realise magic could be, was in plays. And I'm a massive, like massive sci-fi fantasy oh, yeah, yeah, fan, yeah, yeah. like right mm. into that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, and so that was the supernatural side of things of Midsummer Night's Street that kind of was, you know, piqued my interest. Mm. But I don't think, I don't. I didn't come to Shakespeare again. I wasn't introduced to it again until I think it was, I was in Aboriginal theatre at Wapper. Yep. And we had to learn a Shakespearean piece to audition into the mainstream acting course at mm. Wapper. Mm. And so we had like a little introductory into how to speak Shakespeare, what words meant. Um, I had no idea. Um, I think I did Helena. Um, which is hilarious because I'm 5'2 and Helena's supposed to be a giant. So uh, <laughs> um, I had no idea about the actual character. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so and so that was a, the 
first time I'd actually ever spoken Shakespeare. So, so then when did you know that it was this is the career that you want to pursue? Because you, you, your main focus is Shakespeare in your career yeah. right now. I never thought this would happen, ever. <laughs> um, uh, it was after I graduated. So while possibly my final year at um, Whopper, I think what happened was I actually picked up Mercutio. I picked up this speech for an awards. Um, uh, it was kind of like a Shakespeare off. <laughs> um, <laughs> we have it, have it Whopper. <laughs> and we were told we could either do a monologue or a duologue. And... I did a monologue mainly because I didn't want to let <laughs> any of my other classmates down because I knew it wasn't my strong point. Um, and so I did a monologue and I picked Mercutio and I absolutely fell in love with, uh, yeah, the, the character, like the, sto- the, the, the actual character. And it wasn't until after I graduated and I came and uh, actually studied with both you and Pete, I think it was at the time, um, with you guys had a... I think it was a post-course, post-drama course uh, mm-hmm. thing for people who just graduated to come and study Shakespeare. And um, I think it was, yeah, you guys being able to say to me, you know, you can say it in your own accent. You can bring your walk of life to these characters yeah. that will enrich these characters that was like, oh, cool. Okay, yeah. I don't have to be super intellectual to play these characters. <laughs> Well, because the characters obviously are just reflections of all of us, right? I mean, they're they're, they're human beings, and mm. um, and what what interests me is that you know you went on to perform in Shakespeare in a mm. number of different plays, a number of different productions, but your interest now is also shifting towards directing, and I want to ask you about that yeah. because wh- where has that vision come from? Why do you yeah. want to get into directing? I love the stories of Shakespeare. That's what draws me to it but I I'm I'm an Aboriginal woman um and I am in absolute conflict half the time about loving Shakespeare (laughs) um um, as an Aboriginal person um because sometimes I feel like I'm questioning whether or not I'm assimilating whether or not I should be opposed to assimilation um uh you know I you know, my fam, like uh, my family, uh, uh, my grandmother is a cultural leader in Mount Isa. Um, and so I'm, I want to stay true to that side of me, but I'm also a 21st century person walking in this world. And I can't help that I like these stories. <laughs> Basically, I want to change the way we look at stories within mm. Australia. Um, mm. I want to change who tells the stories. Mm. I want to be. I want to um, help in that movement of um, leadership within our storytelling. Mm. Um, you know, we're a country that's built on stories. Uh, you know, sixty thousand years plus. Yep. Um, you know, we've been telling stories on this land. It's in our blood. It's in our culture. It's everything. Um, yep. You know that that makes me who I am, and I think the the path of life that I've you know, and career I've chosen to carve out speaks so true to that. I see these stories and I see so many aspects that can be, um, uh, that that all Australians can relate to. Mm. Um, Mm. So I have a a Shakespeare play in my head at the moment um, that I want to direct. Can you tell us which one? Uh, sorry, no, that's, no. that's for me. <laughs> secret, okay. <laughs> secret. Well, I just don't have the skills yet that I, and I'm not completely 
ready to kind of uh, put that on yet. And mm -hmm. I feel like it's going to be, well, I want it to be quite a big piece. <laughs> so I've got to get all the, the things aligned first. You're listening to Speak the Speech, the podcast from Bell Shakespeare. My guest today is Abby Lee Lewis. Abby Lee, I want to talk to you about your early acting career because a lot of what you've done has been connecting with young people, young audiences. I think that's very important for you in your career. Can you tell us a little bit about your time with the players, Bell Shakespeare's touring ensemble that goes into schools? What was that experience like? So, yeah, two, 2016, there was um, eight of us went out on the road. So it was four in my group and four in another group. And we, yeah, we kind of split up Australia and toured to um, every kind of, well, a lot of schools basically felt like every school, but <laughs> probably wasn't the case. Um, and, yeah, it took us all over um, Australia and... It's some of the best times of my career, mainly because I learnt a crap ton, <laughs> like an absolute <laughs> crap ton. Like <laughs> I wasn't super confident in Shakespeare um, coming into the players um, and I actually struggled quite a bit actually learning the lines. Um, you know, we, we were told <laughs> we were told to learn the lines and I promise I tried to learn the lines. <laughs> they just didn't stay in there. <laughs> Um, before coming to rehearsals and um, I remember sitting down with uh, one of the members of the staff uh, from Bell and it, would, it took just one Saturday and she explained to me iambic pentameter because at that time I just thought it was a funny word associated with Shakespeare. I didn't actually know how to use it. Mm -hmm. um, and she, one Saturday, couple of hours and it just went click, like just straight in there that night went home used it learnt the lines and it they stayed in there um obviously for the rest of the 10 months <laughs> so um yeah it, it it's quite uh, quite amazing like that's just one moment of how working with the players has changed and then going out to the actual schools um oh man I had I had a ball. I had an absolute ball. <laughs> like, what, what are some What are some stories for, from some of those schools? So there was lots of great, like great moments, um, and also sometimes kind of stressful, stressful moments as sure. well. Yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, one one of the moments was in Moray. Like I absolutely loved performing in Moray, um, and I think um, it was performing. So I, I I don't know the s stats completely, but Moray has a um, it, it's like 95% um, Aboriginal town. Like mm -hmm. there's, um, yeah, so performing in front of other Indigenous students and speaking Shakespeare was terrifying, daunting and also extremely rewarding. I remember we did it in a primary school and we were performing Romeo and Juliet and some of the themes in Romeo and Juliet to a primary school where I was like, oh God, like performing that end scene. I was like, oh my God, these poor children. Yep. Um, but I think they managed, uh, hopefully they managed to go, this is just a story. Um, but uh, I, and I had no idea until someone, one of our, my other cast members, came off stage she's like oh did you see that little girl down in the front I was like what no she had her hands like on her like her chin 
um, hands mm. underneath her chin, um, resting on the stage. Um, and apparently, uh, according according to my cast member, <laughs> um, she couldn't keep her eyes off me, even though even when I wasn't doing anything mm. and I was playing Juliet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just kind of, I'm an older sister as well. So I love inspiring and uplifting other other yeah. young young people so to kind of hear that i was like oh my god yes i'm i'm doing something that's worthwhile i'm not just it's not just a story <laughs> yeah and beca- and also because representation is so powerful and yeah. so so crucial yeah. and for kids of all backgrounds to be able to see themselves reflected up on stage mm. to see themselves in various stories i mean this is this is why we do what we do is absolutely crucial you know yeah. i think that's fantastic yeah um yeah and so that moment has always kind of stuck with me also kind of self-managing yourself as an actor mm. you know we didn't have directors um on the road with us um we didn't have a stage manager uh, we just it was just four actors and you know, coming out of an institution where we're kind of given all the good stuff, we're given um, and kind of stripping it straight back to bare bones, you really honed in on your acting, the athleticism that comes with speaking Shakespearean words. Um, (laughs) uh, One of my my cast members was so precise in the staging of um, and the drawing up of the, the stage in these schools, but um, which made me realise going, oh my God, this, the specifics and the detail that needs to go into our work uh, shouldn't just be in the words and the, and the performances of things. It has to be the whole thing. Sure. Um, and yeah. so, and learning from one another as well, I think um, was really, really great. You know, four different people stuck in a car for sometimes like three hours, four hours on end. Um, you know, from all different walks of life, you you had to be quite accommodating to to those people. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I learnt. I think I learnt how to be not only an actor, um, but also, uh, you know, I, I learned how to learn how to be a leader um, with within the within um, not within the cast so much, but within the schools that we were going into and yeah. and things like that. Um, Maybe not a leader, maybe a role model, I think yeah, is the right word. But, absolutely. Um, and a leader, and a leader within mm, the team as well. Yeah. And then during that year also we had the, I had the a great pleasure of working with you uh, and you played Puck yeah. in A Midsummer Night's Dream uh, and that was a, that was a, a fully realised production for young audiences. Yeah. And, um, and that was, Abby Lee, a really physical production. Do you remember that? Yeah. It, we, we worked with... Um, movement director Nigel Poulton yeah. and climbing all the way up and down on that frame mm. on that amazing set. Mm. How was that working so physically and, and in such a disciplined physical form with yeah. uh, with an artist like Nigel? I I thrived off it. I personally enjoy working like that. Um, I, I you know I grew up playing sports my whole life. Um, that actual production and working with Nigel like that actually kind of formed the type of actor that I want to be you know all actors I think feel like you know they want to do everything and play everything and stuff like that but for me I felt like I was specializing in that kind of way of performing Mm. um and yeah we would what we would do two hours two and a half hours worth of a workout 
with Nigel in the morning and right off the back of that he'd tire us out and then we'd have to go into rehearsals Um, (laughs) and I think I remember talking to him about kind of the theory behind doing that and it was I might be butchering this but I think I think (laughs) the way I received it was that when you're at your most tired when the body's exhausted you're at your most creative Mm. because your body has to your habits go everything goes and you have to kind of readjust or rethink about how you're about to do stuff um so that's how I received received it um and I I found that really really interesting um Mm. in terms of working and I and I kind of take that now into yeah everything that I do so not only uh, as an actor and an emerging director you're also a lead teaching artist with Bell Shakespeare and I want to talk to you particularly about one incredible um, residency that you've been on which was at the Yipperinia school it's just outside Alice Springs on Arunda land mm. how many times did you go up there to Yipperinia I went three years in a row. Three years in a row for a, yeah. for a two-week residency. Two-week residency, Each time. Yeah. Tell, tell me about that experience and working in an all-Indigenous school uh, from kids from all sorts of different communities and all sorts mm. of different backgrounds. Um, yeah, so my first year I went was just after the players, after we'd finished up the players, um, and I'd been doing um, a, co- a couple of cultural workshops um, throughout Sydney beforehand, and so I was familiar with going into schools and running workshops, um, and obviously straight off the back of players as well. So, but this was a completely, completely different um, world. I was walking into, I was actually born in Alice Springs, so I was quite familiar with Alice. Mm. Um, and I and uh, and I didn't know whether or not my, um, whether, whether <laughs> this, this probably won't register um, much, but for me it was quite a funny feeling. But I didn't know whether or not my family, family's name was well received in Alice um whether that was a good yeah I didn't know whether or not my family's name would be a good thing or a bad thing um especially within teaching so I kind of I kind of left that under wraps a little bit um but basically we went into Yipirinya and it was um yeah you had these these kids I remember walking in and they can all speak language um, and they all speak different languages um, from different uh, groups all around Alice. And um, I think it was like four, four or five, they were actually being taught language in, in the school as well. So mm, the school mm. was pulled together by um, elders um, from from all of the communities around Alice mm. um, as a pri- private uh, school, I think. And... Um, they were like, yes, we want our kids to learn not only Western education, but also uh, cultural education. Yeah. So, yeah, in the mornings they would have, um, the, you know, English, S&E, maths, all that sort of stuff. And then in the afternoons they would go and learn uh, language, um, learn about, uh, you know, uh, stories. Um, that's kind of run like that. Mm. And, um, yeah, so we had two weeks there. And I went with one, another, so I was always partnered up with another teaching artist. So it was myself um, as a, a female, but then we, it was, it, it worked well with there was an, a male right. um, teaching artist with us as well. Um, and 
man, like they these kids I still like I still think about them I'm still like oh I miss them so much because um ah they yeah you two weeks with them and you just see you get to know them and you see such a a big jump within their confidence so that's what we went in there to try and use you know using Shakespeare as a tool to um help with their confidence Mm. not only on speaking on stage but just kind of um you know i think the first week first week we were there the first time i was there some of some of these kids were too shamed to even say their name out yeah. loud yeah, right. um in in a circle and stuff and um so how did you overcome that because uh, you know obviously that's a a big barrier the yeah. the, the idea of shame yeah um you know uh, so uh the first teaching artist that I went with, I think, was Peter Cook, and he had he'd been working with these guys three years prior to me coming on board, and he had um, kind of come up with a a tool that he found that was working, and if they all u- were using their voice together, um, they that shame disappeared. So if there was rather than right. pulling one individual out, which yeah, you right. know. Yeah within Western society, we're so used to being very individual. Mm. Um, you know, we pride, sometimes pride ourselves on that, but um, within those communities, that's that's not how these communities work. It's, mm. That's not how our, our culture survives. It can, We survive together. Right. So we, especially with the younger kids, we uh, definitely try to keep them, their voices all as one. Yep. Um, giving them, with giving them moments of... Um, yeah, moments of where they could shine. But by the um, end of the two weeks, you, you, they, they were doing a performance, they were up yeah. on stage in front of their, their fellow students. I mean, uh, how, how did you achieve that? I just, positive reinforcement. <laughs> no, it was, it was really great. Again, um, a, lot of, a lot of these guys weren't uh, familiar with uh, performing on stage with uh, spoken words and 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 also you got to remember English um, some of these guys weren't confident in speaking English and that's probably where a lot of their nerves came from I remember that um, we had this uh, one girl and she had one line uh, right at the uh, end of the performance and I remember um, I was backstage making sure you know everyone was going on at the, at the right time and um, I remember standing literally behind her and she um, this, on stage, there's this like big pause of silence while I'm trying to like put coax this girl onto stage, and she she's like, "Abby, I can't do it. No, I can't. I can't step on. No, I can't do it." <laughs> and I literally had to. I pushed her. Like I pushed her on stage, um, and she turned around and she looked like she was about to hit me. Like I was, I was like, oh my God, what have I done? Um, but she spoke the words and I, I actually came out and stood stood next to her. Um, and yeah, I yeah I stood right next to her going like, I'm here. Like if you don't say it, it's okay. Like the show will go move forward. Um, but she ended up speaking the words and it's just those small little, those small little moments of success. Um, that someone's so terrified um, to 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 speak out in public, and it and they overcame that, which I think was is is so rewarding uh, to see. I love um, that. Yeah, and I, I, I remember my, my final year there. I remember saying to these guys, I was like, guys, you see some 
terrifying animals, insects, like all through, you know, just walking through Alice Springs. Like, you know, I remember seeing this like disgusting spider. It was huge. <laughs> um, and like it could, it could kill you. And I said, you see these snakes and insects that could one bite, they instantly kill you. Are you worried about those? Like, no, nah, all you got to do is just, you know, do this and this and this. Yep, and yep. then I was like, but you're terrified to speak out on stage. And they just went, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> they were just like, oh, yeah. So it's um, it's just kind of, yeah, I, I loved it. It was absolutely rewarding. To, Brilliant. That's yeah. great. Well, Abby Lee, we have almost come to the end of our podcast today. But just before we go, we have a segment we call The Final Five. I've got five quick-fire questions for you, Abby Lee. Oh, I need no. five quick answers. Here we go. Okay. okay. Number one, as an actor, do you like to be the lover or the villain? Villain. Yeah, oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> now, number two, what do you think is the most underrated Shakespeare play for you? Underrated? Oh, Titus and Andronicus. Be- yeah. Wow, Titus like, Andronicus, really? I because everyone hates it. Yeah. <laughs> I absolutely, I, I, I think there's beauty in imperfection, and it definitely is imperfect. Um, <laughs> That's that for play, sure. Yeah, that play is so problematic, um, but I, yeah, I definitely feel like that that play um, that has power to it. For sure. Okay, who's your favourite actor who you haven't worked with yet? Who you'd love to work with? Um, and, and it can be absolutely anyone. Absolutely anyone. Okay. So can I have two? Yeah, go on. <laughs> okay, I have two. Um, in terms of comedy, yep. I would love to work with Kristen Wiig. Um, she's okay. absolutely hilarious and I feel like we would be the best of friends. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, and the other one would probably be, uh, I want to say Denzel Washington. Okay. I've just seen a couple of movies of his recently and he, his detail is incredible. Amazing. Yeah. What is your dream Shakespeare role that you haven't played yet? Oh, man. Um, pro- yeah, probably Mercutio, definitely. Um, <laughs> uh, but I don't feel like I'm at the right age to be able to play Mercutio. I felt like I was a, like maybe a little bit younger. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've like passed that time. Um, no, I, I think I'd also, oh, I don't know. I again like like Richard Third. Um, yeah, I like those kind of dark. You like, really like the oh, villains. Huh? Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that says about me. Um, no, I really do. I just think um, I, I'm I'm always the type of person that kind of looks at. I'm always interested of why people do things. Like I'm always going, yeah. why is that person thinking or saying or moving or doing that? And mm-hmm. kind of, I guess that's why I, I am, uh, why I love acting and why I'm in the uh, performing arts is because I like exploring that sort of stuff. And absolutely, absolutely. And final question, if you weren't an actor, what would you be doing? Ah, uh, I've thought about this. And I've actually had to have this conversation with my partner <laughs> quite recently. Um, and uh, I want to say I'd probably be teaching, um, mm-hmm. but uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's been a few times where my partner's like, I'd never be allow you to be a teacher because <laughs> you'd, 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 you'd come back and you'd treat me like one of the students. So. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you'd probably be drinking a bottle of wine a night. So, no, um, no. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I, don't, I, I, I can't answer that. It'd probably be, yeah, if, if I was an actor, I'd probably be a director or something in editing or mm-hmm, something mm-hmm. to do with uh, visual arts or something. Sounds good. Abby Lee, it has been a real pleasure talking to you today. Thanks so much for joining me on Speak the Speech. Yeah, thanks for having me again. It's been a ball. Bell Shakespeare is Australia's national Shakespeare company. We perform in theatres and schools in every state and territory. If you'd like to support our work or to learn more about what we do, please visit bellshakespeare.com.au. Speak the Speech is produced by Bell Shakespeare and edited by Camillo Zanoni. Be sure to follow at Bell Shakespeare on social media and don't forget to subscribe, rate and review the Speak the Speech podcast through your listening platform.